you know, you're not feeling the, like, grandpa's closet scent. And so you want to figure out who you could bless with that scent. So candles. Number two, gift cards. Always nice. Number three, housewares. Like, items. Like, you know, like a tea kettle or something of that nature. Number four, clothing. That beautiful sweater that you just don't know what to do with. Uh, clothing. Number five, bath soaps, shower gels, and lotions. That's kind of one combined category. So anything that falls in the general, I picked it up at a hotel while I was traveling category, you can re-gift that apparently. Um, number six, fruitcake. Still a thing. Still a thing. Uh, which, by the way, if you are someone who, whenever someone speaks disparagingly of fruitcake, you're appalled because you personally like it, please grab me later and talk to me about this, because I'd like to hear your perspective. I've just not heard that yet. Uh, so that's number six. Number seven, gift baskets. Now, I didn't look. I don't know if it's appropriate if you're re-gifting the gift basket to, like, pull out the item or two that you like and then re-gift it. I don't know. Uh, you can figure that out for yourself. And then number eight, alcohol. So label makers did not make the list for some reason, but... You know, those are your top eight. But, you know, there could be many other items that you look at that you think would be really valuable to give away. Now, for the next three weeks, we're going to be in a series where we're looking at the idea of re-gifting. We're calling it re-gift. But we're going to take a little bit of a different angle on it. Uh, when you come to the scriptures and the person and the teachings of Jesus, much of what we receive is a gift. Many of the things that we're given, we're given very specific and important gifts as people who are living in the way of Jesus. But many of those gifts, unlike lots of the gifts that we receive regularly, are not simply gifts for us to consume for ourselves, but gifts that kind of achieve their ultimate goal as we learn to give them away to others. They're gifts that are given to us so that we can learn to give them away. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at what it means to be people who re-gift. I was thinking about this, this concept and, and how this works around Christmas time. Our family has developed a new kind of Christmas tradition. It happened a couple years ago. My, my wife makes fudge, typically, because we have four kids, and they've gotten to the point where they all want to give gifts to their friends. And we just can't afford to keep kind of giving gifts to all of their friends. And so we're like, ah, Fudge. My wife likes to make fudge around Christmas time. I like to eat fudge around Christmas time. But sometimes you can have too much fudge to eat because my metabolism isn't what it used to be, right? And so we got to this point where we're like, okay, our capacity for fudge has hit its max, so we need to start giving this away. So we're like, this would be a great way to give to some of our friends' friends and their families and those kind of things and our neighbors. And so about two years ago, we used to do this kind of before Christmas. About two years ago, we had one of those years where we just didn't have time to do it. And so Christmas Day, we ended up driving around and giving some people fudge. And we're like, that was kind of cool. We like that. There's something cool about spending Christmas Day, not just getting stuff, but giving something. And so that's become a Christmas, a little bit of a Christmas tradition that we've been doing as a family. And I feel like it kind of, in a, in a very crass way, illustrates some of the, the gifts that we receive when it comes to living in the way of Jesus. These gifts that bring us more joy when shared than when hoarded, when kind of kept to ourselves. So we're going to look at those in the next three weeks. And as we do, we kind of wanted to add a, a practical component to give you an opportunity to actually do something with those items that are now taking up space on your closet floor and you're trying to figure out, who am I going to re-gift that to? 
So the Opportunity House, which is a, a, a local um, mission that's in the city that we've been talking about, we're kind of working on building a partnership with. There's a team of people who are, are currently meeting together to talk about uh, what, what kinds of things we could do together as a community to serve alongside of the Opportunity House. One of the things they have is a thrift shop. It's called the Op Shop. And at this thrift store, they take donated items, new and gently used items, that you may not need or want anymore, but that other people might. And so they will spend money on, they'll go to a thrift, you know how thrift shops work, right? You've done this, you walk in, you buy something, and all the proceeds go to Opportunity House's mission, to care for those who are marginalized, who are, who are poor, who are in need. And so we want to give you an opportunity over the next three weeks, as we're, stu- as we're in this series, Regift, to actually regift some of your items. Now, don't worry, we, we won't post pictures of them in case you know, your relative is on Facebook and they might see that item. We'll, we'll be careful not to do that, or at least we won't assign your name to it. Um, but uh, you know, I thought I'd lead the way by modeling some of what I would like to, to contribute to this regifting campaign. Now, I, I talked to, to Julia first. I, w- I said, you know, is this, this an okay thing? Because I don't really know if this is needed because my girls aren't really into this anymore. But we, we got a, what is this? This is a cool chandelier for your school locker that is actually motion activated. So you open the locker door and the chandelier comes on. That's amazing. It works. It's never been used. And I am going to give this to Opportunity House so that they can sell it to someone who wants a cool chandelier for their closet and they can take those resources and pocket it and I'm freeing up space in my closet at the same time. It's amazing. Okay, so there's that. And then I thought I would donate this. Now, now if you've been around, you may have heard me talk about my dermatologist and how close we are and how she shared with me that I need to begin wearing hats. And so at one point, I had gotten a number of different hats to try on, to kind of figure out, because I figured I couldn't just rock the baseball hat all the time. And so I got some that are a little bit dressier. And I had this one that I realized had been sitting in my closet for about a year, and I just wasn't wearing it, because I just don't think I can pull this off. Brand new, never, I think I wore it once to try it on, it just doesn't work for me, I'm going to donate that, right? So, so these are my initial contributions. We're going to give this to somebody, you don't need me to put it on my head. Um, <laughs> this is weird. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start that moving. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a little spot in the corner there. That'll be our place where you can donate your item. But just really want to encourage you to think about what are items that you could re-gift so that someone could come to the op shop, spend a couple of bucks, take your item home, give it a good home, use it, enjoy it, free up some space in your closet, and spend some money going towards a really great cause. So think about that. Again, over the next three weeks, we'll be collecting those, giving you a chance to re-gift. All right. So let's jump back into the series. If you have more questions about that, feel free to grab me, uh, grab Pastor Andrew, and we'll do our best to, to answer those for you. But it's pretty simple. Just bring your stuff. Just make sure, uh, one, one guideline Julia said, she said, make sure if there's something that, that plugs into a wall, that when you plug it in, it comes on. Right? So that's kind of a helpful, like if you have something that just hasn't worked forever and you assume that someone will pay money for it and fix it, that's a bad assumption. Don't do that. So make sure it works. All right. Anyway, so as we jump into the series, again, we're going to spend three weeks talking about this idea of regifting. And there's probably a lot of different things uh, we could look at in Scripture that we, we are given as gifts. The first one, and maybe the big one, is the gift of the gospel. 
the gift of the gospel. Now, if we're going to talk about this idea, I think there's two questions. There's probably a lot more, but there's at least two questions that we need to answer. The first is, what do I mean when I use that word gospel? And the second is, why re-gift it? So the first thing is, what, what do I mean by that when I use the word gospel? Maybe you've been around church stuff in your life. Maybe you haven't. But that word can mean kind of a lot of different things to different people. It's a word that can address a formulaic approach that the gospel is X plus Y equals Z. It can be a simple kind of generic good news, words like peace and love. What does the gospel mean? Well, I think if, if we look at the scriptures themselves, the one thing that's really clear about what the gospel is is that it's not a thing. It's not a something. It's a someone. It's not simply a, a, a phrase or a pithy saying or a right belief system. It's a person. The person of Jesus. That Jesus himself embodies this gospel, which means, again, it means good news. That's all it means. But the good news is about a person, Jesus. Pastor and author Bruxy Cavey explains it this way. He writes in his book, Reunion, that Jesus defines the gospel as this. The good news that God has penetrated history with his own embodied love through his son, Jesus. Jesus becomes the hinge of history, the one who ties it all together, making sense of all that has gone before and everything yet to unfold. So when we talk about re-gifting the gospel, what we're talking about is not simply giving a message. It's making an introduction to a person. It's helping people connect with, know this one who embodies the reality of God with us. It's helping people meet Jesus. And if you look in the scriptures, and we just spent the last couple of weeks looking through um, some of the, the stories of people encountering Jesus during his, the birth narratives. Of course, it was Christmas time, and so we were looking at what happened when people encountered Jesus. And again and again, the thing that we see, it's almost like a, a knee-jerk reaction that people have when they encounter Jesus in these early stories, is they go and they tell other people. They go and they share that message. So just some examples. If you were with us, some of these stories will be familiar. Even if you weren't, you may be familiar with some of these. So Mary, the young woman who the angel appears to and says, you're going to bear the, the Messiah, God's son, as your child. The first thing that we see her do after she kind of gets this message from the angel is she goes and she tells her cousin. We find this in, in Luke's gospel, Luke's biography of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 39 and 40. Luke writes, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. So her first response when she gets this message is to go and tell somebody. Now, she doesn't have all the details of how all of this is going to work out. She just kind of has this broad brush picture from this angel about what's going to happen. And so she goes and she tells. Next, we have the shepherds. 
Again, you, you might be familiar at least uh, marginally with this story. The shepherds who are in the wilderness, they, or I'm sorry, out in the pastures with their sheep, angels appear to them, tell them that a baby is going to be born, and this baby is going to be God's son, and, and they should go and check him and find him, and this is what that'll look like. And so they do, and they find the baby, and they're amazed, and this is what Luke tells us. Luke chapter 2, verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So these guys, again, they don't have some really detailed understanding of all of what Jesus is going to do and be. They just get this message from these angels. They find this baby that lines up with the message, and then they go and tell people. That's it. And then finally, and we could keep going, but Anna, this woman who's been in the temple for years kind of awaiting the Messiah, the one who God is going to send to rescue the Israelites. She's been waiting. The baby comes. Simeon, and another older man who's, who's been waiting as well, is kind of prophesying over Jesus. He's speaking God's words over Jesus. Anna sees this, and then Luke tells us that she does this. This is, this is really all we get about Anne in the entire gospel. It's kind of remarkable. Luke chapter 2, verse 38. She came along just as Simeon was ta- talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Again, she doesn't know much about who this child is or what this child is going to be about. But her response is to go and tell everyone she meets. It's like this knee-jerk reaction. Probably, maybe the way you felt after the Eagles won yesterday, right? Like, all you want to do is go... Yeah, some people are shaking their head now. But, but if you're a fan, all you want to do is go and tell people, even people who know, maybe especially people who, who aren't happy that they won, right? Like, you just what you're so excited there's this knee-jerk reaction that happened for these people when they encounter the person of Jesus, even in baby form, where they just have to go and tell people, even if they don't quite know everything about him. And this is just a couple of verses in Luke's biography. This, this is a pattern throughout Scripture, time and time and time again, when people encounter the person of Jesus. They are compelled to invite other people along to encounter him for themselves. Paul, one of the early church leaders, kind of lays this out for us in a way that says this is, this is actually part of what it means to be someone on the way of Jesus. This is part of what that looks like. In fact, he, even, he compares it to a position that we're kind of familiar with. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't, uh, the passage will be up on the screen, though I did make a mistake in the, the reference. I think I put 1 Corinthians, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. So you can follow along up here. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. If you don't have a Bible, would love to invite you to grab one. We have some on the back counter in the foyer. Um, don't grab it now. You can read along up here, but as you're heading out, grab it, take it with you as our gift to you. Um, we're going to read verse 14 through verse 21. Paul writes this. He says, Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. 
He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So Paul used this, uses this idea of ambassadors, this, this image, this position, to illustrate one of our kind of natural roles as people who are living in the way of Jesus. And, and what is an ambassador? You, you're probably roughly familiar, right? Like an ambassador is someone who represents one nation or state or political entity to another. That, that you as ambassador go as a representative. So that in you and what you say and do, people get a sense of the nation you're from and what that's like, what their values are. And Paul says that, that, is, that is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That we are representatives, ambassadors. We are the way through which people get to know what God is like the way we live and act and even speak in the world, says something to others about the character of this one we say we follow. And as we learn more and more about this one, we are invited to be people who don't keep that to ourselves, who don't simply consume this as a message that has value for me but invite others to experience it as valuable for themselves. As you may or may not know, again, depending on how well you know me, I kind of like the band U2. And so when you came in this morning, uh, the opening song was a U2 song, which made my heart happy. Uh, I told Julia, and I did, not, I did not pull strings and make this happen. This was not my, I, I don't tell them what to do with the worship team, they do their thing. Um, but when Julia sent the, the list and I saw that the intro song was going to be the same song that is my alarm that wakes me up in the morning, and that's a true story, I, I was just, I was elated. I was like, oh, this is so good. I'm so happy. And so, like, I, it's not just that I, I think you choose a great band. This, by the way, is my Christmas present that my wife got me, um, the 40th anniversary of the Joshua Tree album, which I was pretty... It's not a re-gift. If it is, I don't really care, honestly. Um, it could be a re-gift. It plays well. So, um, but I'm pretty sure not. But anyway, um, but part of why I like U2 isn't just because they're a good rock band that, you know, plays some great songs. But this is the one song, and, and why you hear me if you come, you know, week in and week out, you probably hear me reference them more often than you're comfortable with. Um, because this is one of those bands that doesn't just entertain me, it speaks to me. 
And so there have been many, many times in my life when I have been in my car by myself and the thing that draws me back to my creator, the thing that kind of brings some sanity in the midst of whatever insanity I'm facing is that particular song or that one line. And often it's that that song on the B-side that I never really paid attention to and it's playing and I hear that line that never meant anything to me before and now suddenly I'm weeping. This is what has happened to me because of this band. And so it means a lot to me. You know, I'm one of those weird people who I'm like, oh, you know, if I met Bono, he would like me. He would, like, get me, right? You know, I'm, I'm that guy, right? So, so just, you know, um, and I know objectively that's probably not true. But, so th- it means a lot to me. But you know what has been the biggest, the, the biggest joy in my life around this, not the biggest joy in my life, but around you two, has been introducing my kids to you two. Partly because my job as a parent is to indoctrinate my children, but because it does mean so much to me, it means a lot to me to hear my daughter singing along to this, where the streets have no name. That does my heart good. Because not only does she sing it, she, she knows the words, and so we can talk about what those words mean. And when, when there's a, a lyric that's hitting me, that's helping me connect to God in a specific way, I can talk about that with my kids in a way that helps them see that it's not just in Scripture that we can encounter God and his work, but that there's other places where we see God at work. And here's a really clear one. And so for me, one of the biggest joys of experiencing you too is experiencing you too with my kids and helping them grow to know and love this band that means so much to me. So so why did I just spend five minutes talking about you too? Well, I actually think it's a pretty good analogy of why we re-gift the good news of Jesus. That inviting other people into this isn't just some obligation, it's not just some job that we do, but it's actually really good for us. That there is deep joy in us inviting other people on this journey with us. It's a gift to give this gift. Now that might sound a little self-serving, right? Like, do it because it's good for you. But that's okay, actually. Jesus actually appealed to our kind of self-serving nature often. I think about this this verse in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus says this, He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem identifying that we actually want good life. One of our primary motivations is to get a life that's good, that's that's meaningful, that's joyful that we want a life that's full. And in fact, that is what you were created for. And so you should want that. He's simply saying that the way we pursue it is often opposite of the way that we find it, right? Like we think that we find life through achievement and success and financial, uh, you know, making our financial goals and, and all of these things, that that is the good life. And what Jesus is saying is, the pursuit of those things as the good life 
can oftentimes lead us down destructive paths. It's in losing our lives for the sake of, of life with him where we actually find it. And as we do that, as we find life in this upside-down way with Jesus, we're invited to invite others along for the ride. And as we immerse ourselves in this message, in this relationship, and we invite others to join us, we find increased meaning. And we learn new things along the way. Because that's one of the most interesting things about re-gifting, about particularly when we're looking to invite other people on this journey with us to get to know Jesus. We often think, and I often hear from people when I talk to them about sharing the good news, inviting people to, to know Jesus. Often the response I get is like, I don't know enough. I don't have a theology degree. It's easy for you to say, like, You've studied that stuff. It's your job to read the Bible. That's not my job. That's not what I get to spend my time doing. Like, I just, I don't know enough. And that's, I, I understand where that's coming from. I, I get why you might feel uncomfortable. Because oftentimes, the message we hear about what it means to, to share our faith with someone is that you got to make sure you, give, you say the right things, right? Like, there is, is a specific message that you have to kind of iron, like, kind of, drill down on and make sure you articulate it correctly because if you don't, then everything's messed up. But that, that isn't exactly what we see when we come to the scriptures. In fact, again and again in the scriptures, when we see people, whether it's in the gospels with Jesus or it's in the book of Acts, the, the story of the early church, what we see again and again are these people who actually kind of have some warped perceptions, some misunderstandings of who Jesus is but their experience with Jesus has been so transformative that they want other people to know him. And so they're inviting them, but sometimes they're making mistakes and they're doing it wrong and they have to be corrected or, or they're like having conflict over it because two people see it the same way. And that's actually all normal and good. Because along the way, as they're working through that, they're learning themselves more about this person, more about who Jesus is. Because part of how you learn is by helping others, by teaching. The, the Roman philosopher Seneca has this kind of famous quote. He says, while we teach, we learn. While we teach, we learn. And educators have known this for years, right? That, that one of the key ways to learn is to pass on this knowledge to others. To, to kind of try and figure out not just how do I understand this, but how might I take this thing and articulate it to someone else. But it's one of the key ways to, to, to grow in knowledge. As a, I was a, an education major in college. My first life was as a high school teacher. Um, and so we did this thing called student teaching. And this was just part of the gig in student teaching. It wasn't just content, though it was some of it. You get to know the content as you learn to teach others. But it was, it was this idea that as you actually kind of immersed yourself in the context of a classroom, you kind of either had to learn or they would kill you, right? And so you had to figure out how to navigate this, this kind of environment with all of these strange people 
or you would die. Like, it's just kind of, I mean, ask a teacher, you think I'm exaggerating. It's really kind of close. It's not exactly, but it's close. Um, And so it was this immersive experience. And you go in, and and every first-year teacher is the same. We think we've got it figured out because we got an A in our student teaching kind of semester. And then you become a teacher, and you realize you don't know anything. Right? And so the best thing, if you are an early teacher, the best thing you can do is find the teacher who survived for like 20 or 30 years and hang out with her or him and be like, how did you do that? It's probably not the way you're doing it, right? Like they'll, get, they'll tell you like, oh, that thing, don't do that, right? I mean, but that's how you learn. You learn by doing. You learn by passing knowledge on to others. That it's, it's part of just how we grow and develop as people. And this is the same thing with re-gifting the good news of Jesus, with inviting other people to know Jesus. Is that's part of how we actually get to know Jesus ourselves. I mean, think about any time you've introduced people to, have you ever like kind of networked with people, whether it's in, at, at work or maybe it's just friends that you know, who you're like, oh, these people would, they, they'd enjoy each other. They should hang out. And so you introduce them. And you've probably had a situation like me where you've been in there and you're like, like, hey, here's this person I know well and this person I know well, and you don't know each other, so meet each other. And they're talking and you're like, I did not know that about you. That's really interesting, right? Because the thing about people is the more people who are in relationship with them, the more who they are actually kind of comes out with different people. And so we learn different things when we're in relationship with different people. And so as you introduce your friends to each other, you learn more about them as they learn about each other. And this is the same thing with regifting the good news of Jesus. That when we are active in inviting other people to encounter Jesus as well, even though we might feel like we know very little, the gift is that in the process, we get to learn more. It's part of our growth and development in our relationship. As we offer people this opportunity to know this one who's been so so important to us, who has changed us, we get to know him more. We get to see new angles that we ne- maybe never saw before. Um, kind of a, an odd example for me, I, w- I was thinking about this, and, and there's a lot I could use, but there was one, one time I was invited, this was years ago, probably 15 years ago, I was invited to speak at a church. And they did this thing at the end where people would come forward so you could pray for them. And this was a little uncomfortable, it was a little outside of my comfort zone, but I was there... Couldn't, I just felt awkward saying no. I was really young, so I didn't have any. I didn't feel like I had any cred, so I couldn't be like, I don't do that. Um, so they're like, hey, you know. So afterwards, people are going to come and, and you're going to pray for them. And I was like, all right, cool. So so I I shared, and then people came forward, and I prayed for them, and like a lot of people came forward, um, and it was just a thing they did every week. So these people just kind of expected it, so they came and they prayed, and I was like, okay, that was weird, but it was good. Um, it was really good. And so afterwards, I was talking with um, the guy who was leading worship. And he said, you know, I know that you don't know any of those people. But you need to know that this one person that you prayed for, what you prayed for her was exactly the thing that she's going through. And you don't even know her, but I know her. And what you prayed is exactly what she's experiencing. And for me, I was like, oh, that's a thing? Like, God does that sometimes? I mean, it was an experience I had never had. 
I'd never understood that there were times that God might actually work in some way beyond me, not simply just like because of my knowledge and my learning, I'm able to offer something of value, but even in spite of my ignorance, that God is able to show up and do something really powerful in someone else's life. That honestly, had it not been for that encounter, I'd have walked away and been like, ah, I guess that was cool, I prayed for people, hopefully that was good. But being able to do that, to offer that, taught me something about what God is like and how God works. And this is my hope for all of us if we're willing to take the risk to re-gift the gospel. That in the process of inviting others to encounter this one who has been such a gift to us, that we would encounter new layers of how much of a gift it is. That we would learn new things about who Jesus is and what he's like and what that means for our lives. As we take the really awkward and risky step to invite other people to know him as well. Now, this morning, we're going to do things a little different. We're going to see how this goes. Um, it may be horrible. You can give me feedback later. Uh, but we, we always uh, try and give time for Q&A. And what I want to do is I have a couple of kind of practical application things I want to invite you to consider as we go out from here. But before we jump into the practical application, I want to just give a chance for us to interact around some of the content. So um, Andrew has a mic, and I have to think about um, as takeaways as we walk away this morning before we get into our final song. First of all, I'm sure there are some people here who are like, well, that's all fine and good, but I'm not really sure that I, like, this is kind of interesting. This has been a good experience for me to learn about Jesus, but I don't know that I'd say I'm kind of in that place yet where I'm ready to re-gift this, to give it away. And that's fine. That's fine. So for some of us, this just isn't where we are. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You're just not in a place where you want to offer that to others. So for you, the invitation would, might be to consider maybe this is an opportunity for you to receive this gift for yourself. Now again, we're all in different places. And, but sometimes we can kind of learn about someone in kind of very scientific, kind of removed ways without really allowing ourselves to get to know them, without really opening ourselves up to what a relationship might look like. And I think there is, there is a, a move past just kind of learning about the person of Jesus and opening your life up to what it would look like to know Jesus and to allow him to change you, to shape your life in a particular direction. And so I just invite you to consider accepting that gift opening yourself up to that kind of a relationship where you you aren't just learning about this person and what they're like, but really inviting them to change you, to make you a different person. If you'd like some help thinking through that, navigating that, I'd love to have that conversation with you. But there's not any magic to it. There's not like a formula you have to do. It's simply a willingness to say, yeah, that's, I, I want to go deeper. I want to know more. I want to grow. I want to be like Jesus. That's it. So maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you're at. But if you are someone who would already kind of consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or, or even if you're not quite there, but you think 
you've got enough of this that you're like, this has been really good for me. I don't know that I can quite say that I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he you know, died and rose again, and that all, I don't know if I'm totally there, but man, this, this has been really good. I'd invite you to think about what it might look like to re-gift this for people that you care about. And a couple of thoughts as you're doing this. So when I'm talking about re-gifting this, what we're really talking about, and this kind of goes to what Dan was saying, is inviting people into a conversation. It's not coming up with your kind of three or four points that you need to make sure you get across in the five minutes that you have with them. It's looking around and saying, where do I know people who are asking deeper questions, who are really interested in talking about spiritual things? Where are people who are open to this, who are in my life? And how might I just share what's been going on for me? And better yet, maybe before you say a word, listening to what's going on for them. Asking them, what's their journey been like? What has their faith journey been? And just spending some time listening. Maybe that's most of what you do. And if they ask, what has been good for you, or what have you learned, or where have you found meaning in life, then you can offer. But I think it begins actually with just learning to listen well. Learning to hear people's stories and to care about where they are and what they're longing for. And then taking the risk to invite them to consider Jesus. And again, that that might feel odd and strange, but there's a number of ways to do that. You could simply share your story, as Donna shared. This is what my experience has been like. You could invite them to come here on a Sunday morning, right? Like, come and learn about some of this with a bunch of other people who are kind of learning about Jesus together. You, you could. I've done this. Is, you know, for certain people, could really work to just say, would you want to meet for for coffee or, or whatever for the next couple of weeks and we could just look at one of the Gospels together. And you could kind of just ask any questions you have and some of them I might be able to help you with and some of them I won't. But we'll just kind of look together and see where that goes. The point is not to, it's not transactional. It's not, I've got to get them to make a decision by this time or in this way. The point is simply this has been transformative for me. And I want these people to experience this as well. And so we invite them to explore. And frankly, we trust that at the end, the job of whether or not they ultimately are open to this relationship isn't yours. It's not mine. It's not to convince anybody, but simply to invite. And trust that God can handle all that other stuff. So I know for many, many, many of us, this is maybe anxiety-producing to think about having these conversations. But I would encourage you to consider this as a next step for you. If being someone who's in relationship with Jesus has had any kind of meaningful impact on your life, to consider the, the reality that that would be true for others who you care about as well. And what might it look like to take the risk to re-gift that to them? I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a final song.
Well, Father, thank you for the gift of the good news of Jesus. And thank you for the ways that um, that offers us life and hope and meaning. Would you give us courage and wisdom as we think about what it could look like for each of us as individuals to, to re-gift this to others that we care about? Give us courage, give us creativity, and along the way, would us learning to re-gift the good news of Jesus draw us deeper into an understanding a love for this one who is good news to all the world and it's in his name that we pray amen